Hello, friends. Thank you for listening to today's podcast from Elmwood Baptist Church. We are an independent fundamental Baptist church in Brighton, Colorado. We are so blessed to have you join us today. As we open God's word, I pray that you will be encouraged and strengthened. Our desire is for the world to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and for Christians to grow in an intimate relationship with Jesus and to serve God with their whole life. May God bless you richly as you listen today. continuing study walking through the word and this particular period of time going through the gospel of John chapter number 8 and I want you to I want you to um, if you would John 8 and look with me at verse 26 Jesus said and John and, and let me just give a little bit of background here of course you know that that the, the rebellious Jews, the religious hierarchy has now been, they have now been on the trail of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's in the third year of his ministry. So he's in the last, he's in the last, really in the last months of his ministry on, on earth. And uh, these Jews, these rebel Jews, religious folk, have been on his trail. And they've been, they've been hounding him, trying to catch him in things. Uh, staging things like a woman uh, taken in the very act of adultery, uh, various different things. It all started, you remember, when he healed the, 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 the crippled man at the pools of Bethesda. And uh, from that point forward, it's been, it's, it's just they've been hounding him and hounding him and hounding him. And they're still doing that. They're still, they're still, uh, wondering who he is, trying to find out who he is. He repeatedly tells them who he is, but it doesn't seem to make any 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 difference. Um, he is the promised Messiah. They don't know that. You say, well, boy, they sure are dumb. And their relatives are still that way. We're in 20 and 19. Jesus is not recognized in the nation of Israel as the Messiah. Uh, they had a whole different idea of what Messiah was going to do when Messiah actually came. And because they're such a small nation and because they were hated by the world, and by the way, still are, surrounded by their enemies, they expected Messiah to come in as a conquering king and wield a sword and destroy all their enemies and set up his kingdom on the earth. And that just isn't what the Lord came to do. You see, there was this little problem about sin. This little problem about you and I who were born with a, an Adamic nature. Our sin came from Adam. And because of that, through the bloodline, I mean, it's just like any blood contamination. You get HIV through blood. Uh, there's, you get other diseases through blood. Um, you get the disease of sin in every human on, the pla on planet Earth for all times has been tainted with the disease of sin. So we've got this little problem of sin. You see, you can't go to heaven with sin. So what are you going to do about your sin? 
Well, you can't pay for your sin. So what are you going to do for, with your sin? If you can't pay for it, if you can't rectify the problem, and you can't go to heaven with sin, then how in the world are you going to ever have anything beyond this life? And that's where the Messiah came in. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I want you to think about that for a minute. You know, listen, you can, you can give without loving, but you can never love without giving. And God so loved the world that he gave, not his only son, his only begotten son. You see, we're called the sons of God. But we're not called the begotten sons of God. The only begotten son of God. And so God gave Jesus to be the answer. Well, I'm looking at people tonight. You've, you've just been saved recently. And praise God for that. Without Jesus Christ, your future was hell forever. No escape. No time out. That's just the way it is. And Jesus paid the price, didn't he? And whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How hard is that? I'll tell you, it is, it is so difficult that a child can accept the Lord. It is so difficult that a criminal hanging on a, on a cross next to the Savior can call out to the Lord and the Lord said, today you'll be with me in paradise. You know, the, the, the point being, it's not hard at all. It's not hard at all. The only thing that's hard is getting over our own damnable pride. That's what's hard. Pride has damned more souls than probably any other human thing. And so we, we just have to get over ourselves. Uh, man has a notion that he's good enough to get to heaven. And that's primarily the world. Listen, we have this little microcosm church, but it's not a picture of the world. The world believes that they're good enough and do good enough in order to get to heaven. And by the way, we get this every single Saturday when people are asked, do you know for sure that if you died today, you'd, have, you'd go to heaven? Well, I, I think I would. Well, right away, there's a red flag, isn't there? I think. You know, if, if you have to think you would, then there's a possibility that you may not. And so how do you know? And you get any number of answers. Those of you that have gone out witnessing, you know what I'm saying. You get any number of answers, you know. And I've been a Christian all my life. No, you haven't. You've been a lost person all your life. And there has to be a time when you were born again. Because being born the first time, no good. Born once, die twice. Die physically and die eternally. Born twice, die once. Just this physical shell is is going to die, but God's going to make it brand new. How many of you can even, I can't, how many of you can even fathom what your new body is going to look like? Isn't that incredible? Disease-free, 
no Nutrisystem, no, no need for diets, no scales, no hospitals, no doctors, no cemeteries, no funeral homes in heaven. Isn't that marvelous? Have you ever stopped to even really think about it? You know, and so, and so, you know, uh, we get, we get saved by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We turn to him. We turn to him. And he saves our souls. And praise God for that. And so he was the Messiah. And they, they absolutely, would, they were stubborn in their hearts. They refused to bow to that. And like I said, their ancestry, their, their living ancestry is still that way today. Still that way today. They're looking for the Messiah to come. And he is going to come. And when he comes the second time, he's going to be coming as a conquering king. That'll be the second time he came. They totally missed it. Totally missed it. And many have, of course. Jesus is the living embodiment of all that he taught. The Ten Commandments are the character traits of the Lord Jesus Christ. Prior to that, 613 Levitical commands. And he, he embodied every one of those commands. And those Ten Commandments reduced down to two great commandments. To love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy mind, all thy soul, all thy strength, and love thy neighbor as thyself. Two great commands. That was Jesus Christ. That is a picture of Jesus Christ. So we come to John 8, 26. And, and Jesus says, I have many things to say and to judge of you, but he that sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I have heard of him. Now, Jesus had a purpose for coming, beloved. He had a purpose. Jesus could have said much more, and, and even he could have condemned the, 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 the ones that were uh, listening to him. But his purpose in coming was to give them and the world the gospel message. That is the most important thing in the whole wide world. There isn't anything more important than that. There's nothing. Listen, you can do good deeds for people, and I, and I hope you do. But the very best thing that you can do, that I can do, is give them the gospel. They, they have to make a decision. I, listen, I'm not worried about somebody else's decision. My job, my, my ministry job, is to give the gospel. What somebody does with it, that's their business. But I'm to give the gospel. And, uh, and so that was Jesus' purpose. His purpose should be our purpose. Amen? John 8, 27. And they understood not that he spake to them of the Father. So the one who sent him, his, his purpose to go into the world... And with this gospel message from the one who sent him, God the Father, the same one we read on the wall. And and they just did not understand that they were talking that he was talking about God the Father. Now John John added that the people didn't understand that Jesus was referring to God the Father, but God was that's only because God was unknown. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, the Son of God, 
or God the Son, then you can't have a relationship with God because you cannot divide the two. We're going to get, very soon we'll get to John chapter 10. And wonderful, wonderful uh, eternity uh, sealing and comforting passages about one's salvation found in John chapter 10. And, uh, and one of those passages is found in chapter 10, verse 30, where Jesus said, I and my Father are one. They're one. You know, I could ask David tonight, David, I can see your body. I can't see your spirit. Is it separate from you? No. I mean your body and your spirit are one? And I can't see your soul either. You know, your soul is what makes you David. So is it separate from your spirit and body? So what you're telling me is that your body, your soul, and spirit are all one? There's three things, and they're all one. That's exactly the Trinity of God right there. That's the Trinity of God. And so they, they didn't know Jesus because, or they didn't know God the Father because they rejected the Son. Verse 28, Then said Jesus unto them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. So each, each person of the Trinity had a role. God the Father was putting out to the Son what he wanted spoken to the inhabitants of the world. You see, you say, well, why didn't God just do it himself? Well, in the person of his Son, he was able to, he was able to come through the human uh, birth canal he was able to experience everything that human beings experience. You know, if Jesus wouldn't have come that way, some human would say, well, he doesn't know what in the world he's talking about. He's never had to go through what I've gone through. But Jesus did. The Bible says he was tempted in all points like we are. You see, I mean, he was tempted with drugs. There's nothing new under the sun. They had drug problems in the Bible days. They had alcohol problems in the Bible days. This isn't new. This didn't happen just in the 21st century. This has been around forever. The devil has had these same games and same sins forever. Forever. Nothing's new. Well, why didn't God just do it himself? Because God the Father cannot come into the presence of sin. But through his son, his son's interaction. He is the embodiment, the whole embodiment of God. We call it, um, he, is the, he is incarnate, Jesus Christ, incarnate, which means he's in flesh. God is in flesh. And so through Jesus, he's able to communicate uh, his word, and, uh, and that's how that works. God the Father himself is spirit. We can't see him. We couldn't see him. But by in his son, we saw him. The proof text of that is, is found in John chapter 14. Great, great familiar passage where Philip questioned, show us the father and it sufficeth us. And Jesus questioned him and said, how long have I been with you, Philip? And you say, show us the father. He that has seen me has seen the father. And somewhere along the line, we got to grasp that. 
You say, boy, that's, that's tough to grasp. The Trinity is a hard thing to grasp. And you know what? We do that by faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You see, we just by faith trust it because God is the one who sent it. And said, so um, in verse 28, he's talking, of course, he's picturing the, the crucifixion. And Jesus prophesied that the, all this was going to happen. You know, I, I want you to take note, if, if nothing else, take a mental note of these times where Jesus is pointing himself to the crucifixion. He's pointing himself to, to Calvary. He's letting everybody know around him, I'm going to the cross. I am going to be, uh, I'm going to be turned over to the Gentiles, and I am going to be crucified, but I will raise the third day. Okay, he has said this over and over and over. It bothers me, and I want you to take note of these things as well as I have. It bothers me that when we, when we come to the to the Garden of Gethsemane, and it's and Jesus is is speaking to God the Father and and saying, if this cup could pass from me, there are some theologians who believe that Jesus is asking the Father to help. To, to maybe make it so he would not have to go to the cross. That is the biggest pack of lies that could ever, ever, ever be forwarded on people. And these folks call themselves theologians. Never one time did Jesus ever balk at going to the cross. He came from heaven's glory to go to the cross of Calvary. That was the plan in the beginning, and that was fulfilled. He wasn't in the garden saying, No, Father, if you please let this happen, please don't let me go to the cross. Please let me, you know, please make it be something else. No, it isn't. That cup that he was talking about was the cup of a premature death. You say, A premature death? What do you mean? What I mean is that in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was sweating great drops of blood. Satan and the hordes of hell were in, in, in Gethsemane that moment. They were, they were putting so much pressure on the Son of God that if it wouldn't have been for the fact of God the Father, he, he likely would have died right there in his human state. He'd have died right there in the garden and missed the Calvary's cross. The cup that he was holding, and he was saying, Father, remove this cup. Nevertheless, thy will be done in my, my own. It, he's saying, if you want me to drink this cup, if you want me to die right here, if that's your will, I will. But he asked that the cup be removed, and the cup, Satan was trying to kill him in the garden. Satan didn't want him to go to the cross. The cross, friends, is victory. That bloody old cross is victory. Is victory. And so I want you to have this in your mind. And when you're reading through ahead of time, and you should be, we're in Gospel of John, read ahead. Study ahead. And when you read that he is pointing to the cross, when he's saying, 
when, when, in verse 28, when ye have lifted up the Son of Man, when's that going to happen? They're going to lift him up on that cross. This is exactly what they're going to do. Then shall ye know I am. By the way, that he, uh, let me make sure of myself on this, just to make sure. Yep. Then shall ye know that I am, and you'll notice in your Bible that that he is italicized. And I told you last Thursday that the reason why it's italicized is because the King James translators so wanted to not taint the received text that wherever they inserted a word to make the readability of us English readers, um, they italicized those words. Those words were not in the original Greek text. The way it would have read then initially would have been, then shall ye know that I am. What does that mean? That you just list, lifted up God on the cross. That's the bottom line, folks. You know who died for you and me? God. God in the, in the form of his son. And so, um, and, and Jesus prophesied this. And uh, he knew that he was going to be crucified and was not shying from that. And they would know that he was Messiah. That's the neat thing about it. And they would know it by the earthquake, and they would know it by the darkness, but most of all, by his bodily resurrection from the dead. They would know that. Because, because he wasn't going to stay in the tomb beyond the three days. He'd already prophesied that, by the way, on many occasions. He'd already said, uh, I'm going to be delivered in the hands of Gentiles and be killed, but I am going to rise in, on the third day. Of course, they misunderstood that, didn't they? Because when he first announced that, he was standing outside the temple. And the disciples were talking to him and saying, uh, have you noticed the temple, Lord, how, how beautiful it is and how the grandeur of the whole thing? And the Lord Jesus, of course, wasn't impressed. And he made the statement then that, uh, that uh, you know, uh, cast, I'll cast down this temple and in three days raise it up. What temple was he talking about? He was talking about the temple of his own body. By the way, you are a temple. Every single one of you are a temple. And why? What's inside of you? I can't hear you. The Holy Spirit of God. And so our Savior is the one that first pointed that out to us. Well, they thought he was talking about, he's going he's gonna to tear down this great edifice. It took over 40 years to build. And, uh, and, and, and he's going to tear it all down and rebuild it all in three days. You see, they never got it. If anything, can I just say this, and I might be going out on a limb on think so but this is the first cult the Sanhedrin the religious body of Jesus' day is the first cult the scribes the Pharisees and the and the and the and the Sadducees they're they're the first cult that that I see because now when you think about the cults you think about Mormonism you think about Jehovah's Witnesses you think about well there's 
hundreds, thousands maybe of them. And you think about those cults, and, and all of them have one thing common. And that one thing common is they don't recognize Jesus Christ as being God the Son or the Son of God. They, they, they don't. They just will not recognize that. And that's, that's unfortunate because their ancestors didn't recognize it either. But notice he says, um, he says, but, you know, they'll know this by all the things that are going to happen, but particularly they're going to notice it because of his resurrection from the dead. And then, you know, this is important. The, the words, then shall ye know that I am. And then I'll just inject the he there. But that I am, that I am actually God, and you have done this. Verse 29 says, And he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. I've been picking on David here this evening, but I could pick on Jamie here for a few minutes. Say, you know, is there ever a time when, Jamie, that, you know, you go off to work and leave your spirit behind? Or your soul? So they all got to travel with your body, don't they? Well, the Father was always with the Son. The Son was always with the Father. You see, he's not left him alone. I do always those things that please him. They were in commune. Now, listen, the lost world's going to think we're nuttier than a bunch of, you know, fruitcakes when we say things like, well, you know, I just, I just, you know, I believe that the Lord has spoken to my heart about this matter. And I've used that terminology many, many times. So I'm praying about this ministry. And I'm praying about what God wants me to do. I'm praying about a number of different things. And I'll use terminology like, I, you know, I just believe that God has spoken to my heart about this matter. Well, what am I saying? I'm saying that I've looked in the Word, I've spent some time with God in prayer, and by His Spirit and by His Word, God has confirmed things to me. But somebody out here in the world that's lost and doesn't know anything about anything, they're going to say, you mean uh, this guy's hearing voices? Can you hear me tonight? This guy's hearing voices. He says, God's talking to him. Well, listen, I hope God talks to you, Christian. I, I really do. And we know what what that is. That That's the way my salvation came about. After I had that terrible nightmare I told you about, and I witnessed my death, and that was... I witnessed my death so many times it was actually old hat, but that particular dream had never happened before. And then, yes, there was a voice inside of me. And I remember distinctly the word. This is it. And I didn't know what that meant. But that was inside of me. This is it. I'm scared to death. I'm I have tractions pulled me clear down to the end of the bed. I'm trying to scoot myself back up. Um, boy, I'm telling you what. I'm a mess still acting. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a scared little boy um, trying to act tough. But that's what God said. He showed me my death. And he said, this is it. I'm glad you got all kinds of times that you heard the gospel but never made a decision, came back, heard it, never made a decision, came back, heard it, never made it. How many got saved the very first time you ever heard the gospel? Three of them. 
that's what I mean. I don't believe that I would have ever had another opportunity. If I don't get saved that day, God put Mark Elledge in that hospital 7.30 that morning, Thursday morning, June 30th, 1977. That elevator door, it, it wasn't an accident. God put this together. The elevator door opened. There is a nurse assistant by the name of Bernice Sanders from Pastor Elledge's church. Oh, Pastor Elledge. Man, you got to go down to room 324. There's a guy down there, and he really needs to get saved. That was an accident. That was a divine appointment. And he walked in, and that was a divine appointment. And the fact that five men stayed after on a prayer meeting night when everybody else went home. Five men, Pastor Elledge and four other men said, let's stay and pray a while longer. And so they prayed, and I heard about it from all those men, that they prayed and said, God, please, please do something, maybe even extraordinary, maybe unusual that you would do to, to save someone's soul. I can't think of anything more unusual than a guy who's, by the way, all whacked out on drugs. So someone could say, oh, yeah, he's just a stinking drug addict. I mean, you know, he probably thinks he's a fairy flying around the room or something, you know. They could pass it off on that and say, this guy's all messed up on drugs. That's why he drunk and dreamed that he dreamt. But it wasn't it. It was God answering men's prayers. And, and, and. And God putting people in a strategic place. It was a divine intervention. By the way, when you got saved, it was a divine appointment. It was a divine appointment. Nothing happens by accident with God. You know, has you know has has it ever, you know, have you have you ever wondered about the fact that God never wonders about anything? It's all before him. He has perfect foreknowledge. He knows exactly what you're going to do at 9.30 tonight. And you don't even know what you're going to do at 9.30 tonight. Okay? So, okay. So, he's he's just doing what the Father has, has told him to do. The Father's not left him alone. Verse 30. And he spake these, and, and as he spake these words, many believed on him. Tremendous, tremendous. What a blessing. So we just need to know that just like when Jesus sent us out, the Great Commission, going into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And in Matthew's gospel, you know, go, go therefore and teach all nations, you know, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, you know, uh, teaching them, discipling them, the three parts, uh, uh, Metatheo, which is reach them, reach their soul for Christ, baptize them, and then didaskalos, which is which is teaching them, discipling them to now go and do everything that I have taught you to do. Let, now they're going to go do it. New Christians, listen to me, listen to me. You know the reason why we want we want everybody in church so they learn this stuff, so that when you're talking to somebody that you are really burdened about, you know what you're talking about. You know what you're talking about. 
that's why that's so important. And um, so anyway, um, as he spoke these words, there were many that, prof that, that, that the Bible says that, that uh, believed on him. And no doubt, there's no doubt that some were genuine and others just gave lip service to the Lord. The words, the, the words many believed on him contrast with the next verse, and that's verse 31. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples. Now that's 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 key right there. That's a key passage right there. Because Jesus made the distinction between those that were true disciples and those who were not. It's possible, listen to me closely, it's possible to believe in the message of repentance. It is possible to believe in the coming kingdom of God. It is possible to believe those things up here intellectually and not be saved you know if I asked you uh, do you believe in Adam and Eve you know what you'd say to me yeah you never met them you never saw them you've never talked to them what are you talking about you know but if I asked you do you believe in Adam and Eve You'd say, yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. I think the answer, <laughs> the answer of somebody said, well, yeah, how do you know? Because I'm here. Because I'm here. I came from someone, you know. And um, so Jesus made this distinction. And, and, and we need to make sure of that too. That's why when we're, when we're out and we're witnessing and we ask somebody, do you know for sure that you have a home in heaven when you die? And they say, well, yes, the next, the next statement is, well, do you mind if I ask you how you know? Because we want them to answer, well, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty good guy. I mean, I, I don't, I've never, you know, killed anybody. or, You know, you'll get answers like that. You say, well, and then the next thing out of your mouth is, well, you know, that I'm, I'm, I'm glad for you about that, but has anybody ever taken just a couple of minutes and showed you in the Bible exactly how you can know for sure. And right then, there's going to be either a rejection or acceptance. That's, that's just, that's, that's, that's where there's going to be a crossroads right there. And thank God for the, for some of the people that say, well, no, I never, would, would you like to, could I just take three minutes and just show you in the Bible? how you can know for sure. You can see it for yourself. And, uh, I, I, man, I, I've been at this an awful long time, but I've seen hundreds of people do that. I've seen hundreds of people. I've prayed with hundreds of people over these years that have asked Christ to save them. And I've had many, 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 many more than that who made excuse, well, you know, I'm kind of busy right now, and, you know, maybe you can come back later, whatever the case is. But, you know, it's, it's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing when you can 
you know, when you can um, see somebody genuinely saved. And when they're genuinely saved, I, I look at, you know, I look at Amber. We'll just pick out Amber here for a moment. Or Debbie. Debbie just got saved too. You know, one thing that I picked up right away about these two ladies is the fact that, you know, virtually every time the church doors have been open since they got saved, they're here. You know, that's pretty good fruit. That's pretty good testimony. That's pretty good testimony. I got people, listen, I got church members that live a mile from here that aren't here tonight. They live a mile from the church. I mean, from the time I did the one call this afternoon, they could have started walking and got here. I wish they were here. I do. I really do. But, you know, it's it, that's what Jesus is saying. You know, if you abide, if you abide in his word, it's because you're saved. It's because you got the real thing. John chapter 8, verse 32, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. I love that passage, don't you? I'll tell you something. There's nothing like being freed from your sin. I want you, I want you to think about this right now. Think about this right now. In God's eyes, in God the Father's eyes, you and I are sinless. We are without sin. Now let me explain. I, I think I've done this in countless messages. But as God the Father looks down and looks down at you or me or ourselves, he's looking through the blood of his Son. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is our advocate. He is, um, what is it, 1 Timothy 2.5, I think it is. I could be wrong. 2 Timothy 2.5, 1 Timothy. I get those Timothys mixed up once in a while. But it says that there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And so when God the Father, the devil's right up there. By the way, the devil spends most of his time before God. He's called the accuser of the brethren. On occasion, we know from the scriptures that he's walking to and fro on the earth. But he's not omnipresent. He's a single individual. And so he's not like the Holy Spirit of God. But So he spends a lot of time before God accusing us. Did you see what Gary Randall just did? Did you see what he just thought? The devil's right there. You know, he is a dirty, rotten sinner. Look at that. And Jesus is right there saying, Father, I paid for those sins. Well, God the Father looks at Gary Randall. He looks at Gary Randall through the blood of his son. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. That's how it works. That's how it works. Remember when I told you no sin can come into the presence of, of a holy and righteous God? Jesus said, I paid for that. I paid for that. Aren't you glad that your sins are paid for? We don't have to ever answer for them. They're all, they're all put away. They're all gone. As far as the east is from the west. That's incredible. I love it. I love it. You guys are all looking at me like you're hearing this for the first time, but I know you're not. I know you're not. 
the Jews, they did not know this truth. They would not accept it. They were stuck in religion. Religion has, oh my goodness, religion has bound up more people and kept them from Jesus Christ than probably any other man-made. By the way, religion is man-made. Man-made. Those who truly know the Lord Jesus Christ are delivered from sin. We, we walk in the light, the light of Christ. We pray. We are led of the Holy Spirit of God. And I was praying before this service, God, please forgive me for any sin and iniquity in my life. Because I, I may have, I'm, listen, you, you, I may have done something, thought something, whatever that, that was contrary. And I don't have to get saved again. But I want to be tender to I want to be tender to my Heavenly Father. And so I pray always, Lord, cleanse me from any seat of sin. Cleanse me, Father, from any sin or iniquity that is in me. I want nothing to come between me and thee. I want to be used of God. I want to be a vessel that is fit for the Master's service. I want him to preach me be surprised. I, I, I'd let you know just a little secret about about preaching. These guys are up here trying to follow along in this message and, and put some highlighted things that I, I do all my own PowerPoints and then they run them up there. And I, I know sometimes they're confused and they're saying, where in the world is Pastor at? I mean, poor Ben's up there going, man, I hope I'm on the right slide. You are, by the way. And uh, and and but where in the world's pastor at? You know, well, so far about half of this message has been completely extemporaneous, as the Holy Spirit of God has given it to me. I've been speaking to you, and you said really, and I said that too when I was first called of the Lord into the ministry. Said I had older preachers that said. You're going to have some notes in front of you. And then the Holy Spirit of God is going to take you beyond your notes. And he's going to have you say things that weren't even on the page. Some of you, pre- some of you preachers, you know what I'm talking about? It's not magic. It's not magic. It's just asking the Lord, please preach me for your glory. And so... And I don't want to intentionally get these guys all rattled up there in the AV booth, but, you know. But getting back to point, to be made free. To be made free. To not be under bondage. And uh, and the Jews that heard this, instead of rejoicing and saying, I want this freedom. I want this. I want this. I think Debbie... I don't mean to put you on the spot tonight, but you said something remarkable the other day to me. You, you, and I'm, this is not verbatim, but you made a comment about how that for years you were in religion, in a church and everything, and it wasn't until just recently that you realized that you needed to be saved. Am I correct about that? I mean, that's about the words that you used. 
And I remember thinking about that afterwards, after the service was all, everybody's all gone. I remember thinking about that afterwards and thinking, there's literally millions, even billions of people that are exactly like that. They're caught up in, religion makes people feel good. It makes them feel good. It makes them feel like they're going to heaven. And you can feel like you're going to heaven. The most important thing is that you know that you're going to heaven. Because feelings are fickle. Ever heard that statement? Oh, man, I don't feel it. Listen, when Jerry Haight had a cold last week, she didn't feel saved. She felt sick. That's what you feel when you're sick. You feel sick. You don't feel saved. Or, you know, feelings don't have anything to do with it. Are you getting anything out of this lesson? Because I'm sure enjoying it. Anyway, rather than rejoice to be free, they resented this. They, re they resented this. And they boasted of their descent uh, from Abraham and, and declared we were never in bondage. And uh, that's what they said in verse 33. But this was not true. They were in bondage. They were not, they were not f free physically, and they were not free spiritually. Israel had been in bondage to Egypt, to Assyria, to Babylon, to Persia, to Greece, and now to Rome. As a country, they were not free. They were in bondage. Spiritually, though, they were also in bondage. They claimed to be Abraham's seed, and yet they sought to kill Jesus. They sought to kill him. Verse 34, Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. It's evident the Lord is speaking about the bondage of sin. And the Greek word uh, committeth, proso, means repeatedly or habitually commit sin. In other words, living a life of sin. Living a life of sin. As you're growing in Christ, new Christians, as you're growing in Christ, you know, you find that, oh, man, I fell. And you, and you confess that. And you, you repent of that and say, God, please help me. Help me to walk right. Help me to be right in your sight. I don't want to fall into these sins again. You know, strongholds that maybe even Satan had in our life. I remember, I can even, I can even tell you the date. I... I I quit drinking. I quit drinking September 28th, 1977. I was a born-again child of God. I fell. I've, I fell. I actually was battling with alcohol prior to that. But uh, after I had gotten saved, uh, you know, God empowers you. God enables you to do some things. And so I was able to kind of steer away from alcohol. Then I had a friend who was getting married, who said, hey, I want you to come to my bachelor party. Well, I should have never gone. Party should have been the, you know, anybody that had three brain cells could have said, you know, if I'm going to a party, probably that's not a good thing. I did. I went to the party. I ended up getting so drunk that I thought I was going to die. And I remember laying in my own filth. And I remember the thought in my semi-conscious mind, was God, if you let me live, I will never let liquor touch my lips. 
I came out of that. I drank, I don't know. I can't, I can't remember, but it's irrelevant. I, I drank enough to kill me. And God let me live. And I have never had a drink since September 28th, 1977. And um, it's remarkable. God will, God will deliver you when you want to be delivered. Why am I, why am I sharing that illustration? Because, because listen, you know, as a brand new Christian, um, as you're growing, there's going to be some times you fall. There's going to be some times that you say something you shouldn't say. There's going to be some times you're squabbling. There's going to be some times you're not perfect. In other words, you're not perfect. By the way, you're never going to be perfect. But as you grow in the Lord, those instances of falling, some of you Christians have been around for a while, uh, nod your head like you know what I'm talking about. After you've been saved for a while, the frequency of falling becomes further spread out. Am I right? Say amen. Um, as, why? Because you've learned from previous falling. You've been in the Word. You're reading the Bible now. Instead of carrying it around like a de religious decoration, you're actually reading it. You're actually trying to apply it to your life. What, what's God speaking to me here? And that's why you're here tonight, so we can try. I've tried to make, listen, I'm trying to have a Bible study where I'm applying this to our lives, trying to make this be applicable, 2,000 years ago applicable to us today. And it's... Uh, it, I, I don't do the Word of God any justice whatsoever, but I'm, I'm asking God to just use me in this. Jesus answered them and said, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. Don't get the idea that somehow you're going to become sinless. Don't ever get to that place because you're not going to be. But there, as you grow, there's going to be less and less of that. You're still going to be a sinner saved by the grace of God. But, like for instance, the sin of alcohol that caused me to stumble. Alcohol is not even a temptation to me today. Drugs, and you've heard the story about how God delivered me. Drugs today. I, I mean, I was nonstop high for seven, eight years. Uh, every hour for seven or eight years. I, I never was not intoxicated. That's horrible. That's horrible. And today, outside of the fact that I only have four brain cells left, outside of that telltale fact, um, drugs aren't a problem. And there's, there's, there's things that bothered you early in your Christian life as you're growing. But ask yourself the question. And not cocky. Not arrogant. I'm just saying God has grown me beyond those things. And if you think about it, there's some with you too. So, the Lord is speaking about the bondage of sin when He's talking about whosoever committeth sin. It's whosoever is living a life of sin. 
a Christian, you're you're not. You're the Holy Spirit of God. Um, Holy Spirit of God just absolutely convicts us of those things. And Jerry, you're, I wanted to correct something too. You mentioned something, um, um, uh, um, Jerry Bitterman. You mentioned something to me on Sunday and said, Pastor, yeah, you can backslid for a long, a long period of time. And let me let me qualify that. I do know that there are people that have backslid for a long period of time. My point is this, is that a lot of folks, and we'll not know because we can't see their hearts, but a lot of folks who claim to be backslidden are genuinely really not saved. They needed to get saved. The, the difference, and I wanted to bring that out on Sunday, the difference is, is that a person who is just uh, saved but backslidden, the Holy Spirit of God is going to be convicting them. A person who is trying to act the part of a Christian or wants people to believe they're a Christian and they're out doing things they shouldn't do, if they're happy about what they're doing, if there is no conviction about it, then it's because they're not saved. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not going to have the conviction. If you have the Holy Spirit, you're going to have the conviction. I could no more stay away from church tonight. I mean, I'm not going to get up, even if I wasn't the pastor, you know, and say, you know, well, you know what? I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm tired. I'm going to stay home. I, I'm telling you, as a Christian, I, I'd be... I wouldn't be able to gain sleep that night. I'd say, I'm tired, but guess what, buddy? You aren't going to sleep tonight. The Holy Spirit of God is going to convict me about that because I know that what I should have done was the right thing to do. And by the way, when the Holy Spirit of God convicts us, it's because He loves us. Amen? Do you understand that? He's not a bully. I doubt any of us go through one day without a sin. I don't think there probably truly is. I don't think there is any of us that go through. Listen, all I have to do is get in my get in my Jeep, drive for one block on the highway, and I've already sinned five times. And I'm already talking to the Lord about, Lord, I'm sorry I called him an idiot. I'm sorry I, you know, I... I, I was telling Pastor Chris the other day, we had to take a journey up to Loveland and drive it on the highway. And I had some people, you know, cut in front of me and this and that. And and, uh, and <laughs> Pastor Chris was sitting there, I was going, man, what an idiot. Who gave you your driver's license? Where'd you get your drive? And I'm having this conversation with my windshield and Chris is sitting right there and he's quiet. He's quiet. Chris isn't usually quiet either. <laughs> he's just he's just quiet. And then I, I looked over and I said, "And eh, Lord, forgive me. I, here I go again. I said, this is the biggest nemesis in my life. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay, amen. My problem is i got to get over myself. I actually think I'm the greatest driver in the state of Colorado. <laughs> Shame on me. Shame on me. But, uh, you know, we're not perfect. Here's what we got to remember. I'm going to close with it tonight. And these guys have it. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13. I wish that we would memorize, all memorize this verse. 
He that covereth his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. You don't have to get saved again. It's not, oh, I need to get born again and again and again and again and again and again. No. No, you only had to get born again once. Just like your mother only had to birth you once. Okay? Being born again only had to happen one time. Okay? But then we confess to keep ourselves in right fellowship with the Lord. If you are if you are angry, if, if you sin against somebody, there's gonna be there's gonna be division between you and that's the, whoever that is until you get right. When you get right, then there's reconciliation. Okay? That's how that works. Did you learn anything? Don't don't just tell me that to make me feel good. Did you get anything out of the lesson tonight? I sure hope so. Trying to make it as applicable as possible. God is so good, isn't he? We'll pick it up. We'll pick it up with uh, John chapter eight, verse thirty-five, next Thursday, Lord willing. And tonight, just for the invitation, really, I want you to, I want you to just ponder some of the things that you've heard tonight about salvation once again. Seems like every every couple verses we're dealing with salvation, 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 salvation. But I want you to think about tonight. Are you the Christian witness that God wants you to be? Are you are you allowing God to use you to be a witness for him? To get the gospel the most important thing that we can give out. Don't forget that. The most important thing that we can give to somebody is not Thank you for listening to our sermons from Elmwood Baptist Church. If you like our ministry and want to know more, check out our website at www.elmwoodbaptist.org. Or please leave us a review on iTunes. Join us next time as we continue to study God's Word and grow in His grace. God bless you, my friends.